I'm Allison. And I'm Alyssa. And this is Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker, where we reread the books we first read as kids and teens, again now with our adult perspectives. And sometimes with the help of that glorious adult juice we call liquor. First, we want to acknowledge the lands on which we are recording our podcast today. I'm currently recording on the unceded territories of the Coquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Musqueam, Squamish, Kakite, and Stolo First Nations. And I am currently recording on the lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And I acknowledge that the land I am on is covered by Treaty 13, signed by the Mississaugas of the Credits, and the Williams Treaty signed with the multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. Today we're discussing To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Quick content warning, assault, sexual assault, racism, and some sexism, obviously, because it's Obviously, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So what are we drinking today? Well, in in my mug, because I ran out of clean cups, I am drinking (laughs) Tequila Mockingbird, which I'm sure that there are variations of this recipe online. I didn't look it up. I just made a tequila drink. Very proud. So Um, I just read on our Google Docs that, and I did not make, like the rhyming connection somehow so it wasn't until you just said i was like oh i get it oh no (laughs) yeah so it's just tequila lime and sparkling water but it's good it's good nice yeah yeah um i uh i was just saying i had like acting class that went over and then i was like putting in notes and then i was suddenly like it's six o'clock we're recording right now so i'm just straight up drinking whiskey on the rocks so love that for you I, i felt like of what i had um that was the most like southern-ish drink i don't even know where yeah you can just made. pretend it's bourbon yeah it's i mean it is a scotch which whiskey as opposed to bourbon whiskey but whatever it's fine it's, it's fine, fine. <laughs> i did my best doesn't one of the characters always there's a guy who drinks whiskey out of a paper bag in the book it that turns counts. out to be coke yes precisely <laughs> i i thought of that but i also didn't have coke i would have just drank fair coke. <laughs> that would have been a very easy drink oh that oh, would be well. great yeah i missed opportunities <laughs> yeah truly so why don't you tell me about your first experience with this book because we had very different experiences very different yeah uh which is why i wanted to do this book because yeah. of our different opinions um so i first read this book when i was in high school uh, i was about 15 years old so I took an English class that was focused on mythology the year that everyone in our grade read this book for English. So mm-hmm. I didn't read it in class, which I think had a big part to do with the fact I really liked this book. Uh, so I decided to read it on my own because uh, everyone else was reading it. Um, I knew it was one of my dad's favorite novels and I'd seen the movie. So I was like, I want to read this book. And as a teen, my early adult years, like it was one of my favorite books, Um this was probably my fourth or fifth time rereading it. Wow. Um, my opinion on it has changed quite a bit, even before this mm-hmm. read. It's definitely changed over the years. Um, I think, and I've read Ghost of Watchmen. I think I've read Ghost of Watchmen twice, actually. I think I okay. did reread it. I want to ask ago. you about that at the end, but maybe we'll save that. For yeah, you. I have a little something things connecting to it in the notes, but I can talk about it more at the end for sure. Uh, cool. But as a teenager, I would have given this book like a nine out of ten. Solid. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I first read this book 
yeah, it was grade 10 English. So I guess we were, yeah, 15 or whatever. I don't know how ages work anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And I I had a sort of weird experience with the book because my English class that year was trash. It was a nightmare. It was a garbage dumpster (laughs) fire. It was terrible. There was actually a kid in that class that would light his desk on fire and the teacher wouldn't notice because she was so out of it. I tell people so many stories about this teacher and they don't believe me. Yeah, anyway. Like, it's wild. <laughs> without disclosing too much information, it was a clusterfuck and it was terrible. Yeah. And I ended up hating every everything that we read in that class just because it got ruined for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think we spent almost the whole year on this book as well. So it was dragged out, like, infuriatingly long. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it wasn't a good experience. So I didn't have, like, the most objective opinion of the book, but I think I probably would have given it, like, a 3 out of 10. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but that was... Mm-hmm. That was just genuinely my experience with the book was I hated everything that had to do with it because of the, the situation that it was in, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say a lot of ways that especially in like high school, how books are like read in high school ruins so many books and I think ruins reading for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So many people haven't read a book seriously, like a novel since high school, and it's because some of the ones we read were shitty, which we're discovering on this podcast. Yeah, like, Fun. yeah, I mean, at least, like, in the mid-2000s, uh, like, 2010s, when we were yeah. going to high school, like, we were reading, for us, what were very outdated books that we didn't really connect with, and then yeah. we're forced to, like, dissect them so much, like... Yeah, exactly. Anyways, that's my little two-piece on uh, the English curriculum in Canada at the moment. Anyways, synopsis of To Kill a Mockingbird. Jane Louise Finch, a.k.a. Scout, reflects on her childhood in Maycomb County during the Great Depression and the events that led to her brother's arm being badly broken. In the summers, Scout, her brother Jem, and their friend Dill, who stays in Maycomb for the summers, become obsessed with the idea of meeting Boo Radley, a man who lives in the rundown Radley place next door to them and hasn't been seen by anyone in years. They see him as this malevolent phantom and try to lure him out of his house to get a look at him. Boo makes several acts of affection for the kids, like leaving them small gifts in a tree outside his house, but the children never see him. As they grow older and their father, Atticus Finch, learns of their intentions, they move on from their fantasy. Atticus is appointed and agrees to defend Tom Robinson, a young black man accused of raping a young white woman, Mayella Ewell. Ewell? Ewell? I think it's Ewell. Ewell? Ewell. Let's go with Ewell. And he and the children are taunted by much of the town for this. Scout is tempted to stand up for Atticus and his honor, but he tells her not to. She does, however, inadvertently prevent a lynching by breaking the mob mentality from recognizing and talking to her classmate's father. Scout and Jem sneak into the trial to watch Atticus establish that Mayella and her father Bob Ewell are lying. Mayella made sexual advances on Tom and was beaten by her father when he caught her. Although most of the town sees the Ewells as trash, the jury still votes in their favor and convicts Tom for the crime. Jem's faith is badly shaken by this. Atticus still hopes the verdict can be overturned in an appeal, but Tom is shot 17 times when he tries to escape. Bob Ewell approaches Atticus, swearing that he will get revenge on him if it's the last thing he does, but Atticus assures the kids that they have nothing to worry about. That fall, when Scout and Jem are walking home in the dark from a Halloween pageant, Bob Ewell attacks them. Scout can barely see what happens, but later, with Sheriff Tate, they put together that Boo Radley heard the commotion and came running to their aid, stabbing Bob and killing him. Jem's arm is badly broken, and he's knocked out, but otherwise fine, and Scout is unharmed. Atticus thinks Jem is responsible for Bob's death, but Tate, knowing it was Boo, says that he will report that Bob tripped and fell on his knife. Scout walks Boo home. 
Before she leaves, she stands on the porch of the Radley house and imagines life from his perspective. The end. <laughs> nice. Great. I was going to say, I'm proud of us. We basically did that whole thing without stumbling. Yeah, it's very good. Very we're getting good. better at we're this. Getting, we're getting great. Or we're just like more coherent today and haven't had as much liquor. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the writing first because I think there's actually some things to comment on with this book in particular. So I thought that the writing itself um, was actually quite good. The descriptions were really enjoyable. The pacing was pretty good. The dialogue was interesting. Each character had their own characterization. Uh, and it's a book written about children, but not exclusively for children or like a child audience, which I think is where it differs from a lot of the books that we've read lately for the podcast. Like it's definitely written at a higher reading level than some of the other books with children of a similar age as like the main characters, like Narnia or Island or whatever. So it is a bit refreshing yeah. to read something like that. And I think it it's a bit more open to like a wider audience as well. Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting reading a book with this subject matter from the perspective yes. as a child. Because as a reader, we pick up on so much more than Scout does herself, and we can connect the dots. Um, but we also get like a sort of more unbiased and innocent perspective on the events, um, particularly re in regard to the trial. And as you said, it's like not as straightforward as the other books we've done, because it's not meant for child readers. It's meant for adults or teens and up. And it was it was really nice to read something a bit more mature and complicated, yeah. a bit more of a complicated yeah. book. Yeah, I have to say. Especially after uh, Little House and no The Noble. Exactly. Yeah, it, it felt more sophisticated and intentional, I guess, in its writing style. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so right off the bat, I think that we've got to address the the racism, like racial injustice that the book is sort of centered around. Mm-hmm. Fair. Um, so, I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise that one of the overarching and really overwhelming themes in this book is the racial inequality of the 1930s. So the main plot mm -hmm. follows uh, Tom Robinson's trial from the Finch family's perspective as the children watch how the trial, like, affects their family and those around them. And the book was published in, I believe, 1960, but... So, so it was published during, like, still a time of racial segregation in the South, but it takes mm -hmm. place, I think, in, like, 1935-ish. So... I think it's uh, 33 Yeah, something 35. like that. So yeah. naturally, based on, like, the time when the book was set and also the time when it was published, we know ahead of time that there's going to be, like, some problematic language and discussions of race, like, inherent to these time periods. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to say, like, the language to a modern reader feels a bit gratuitous, um, in, in some of the, some of the language that comes up, like you can hardly go a single yeah, page fair. without some sort of racial slur coming up. And it's definitely jarring to read now. And I think despite the novel intentionally highlighting the racial injustice of the era, the way that the narrator describes and discusses, discusses the African-American community of Maycomb reads is I think pr pretty problematic right now. Uh, like, yeah. although there's a clear sympathy for these characters and the, the racism that they face, the narrator herself also sort of contributes to and perpetuates harmful stereotypes and, and also yeah. language throughout the novel. We get a fair amount of basically like, it's wrong for white people to take advantage of people of color because they don't know better than to be taken advantage of. And I'm like, ah, no, stop, stop. Yeah. Um, like in 
condemning the racist actions of the white townsfolk, the narrator sort of contributes to the racist racist portrayal of the people that she's trying to defend. And I think some of that is mm-hmm. like inherent in the era, but it's still like troubling to read, I guess, in it from a contemporary perspective. Yeah, for sure. It does definitely, yeah. It makes it interesting yeah. to read now as an adult in a 2022 world. Um, and I don't think I've read this since the Black Lives Matter movement and have like done more to educate myself on racial yeah. biases. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. There, as a modern reader, there's a lot of moments that are very uncomfy. And the na- author and the narrator clearly have a lot of biases, biases, uh, ill-intended or not, that come through in the novel. But I also think it's important to recognize what are outdated biases from the author and what is meant to be mm-hmm, commentary mm-hmm. of uh, views from that time. Like as a and as a modern reader, you should be very uncomfortable with the language on and the slurs on yeah, every page uh, and the descriptions of the African American characters and community and read it with a very critical eye. But a lot of it is commentary. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, Scout's teacher talks to her class about yes. Hitler and I wanted how it's to wrong for him that. to persecute the Jewish people because uh, because they're human and it's wrong to treat other humans like that. But then Scout right away remembers hearing her say some awful yeah. and biased things towards black people after yeah. the trial. So I think uh, it's important to have that moment to go, okay, is this the author's, this Harper Lee's voice, or is this a character's voice where she's saying, making a yeah. comment about language that was used and views that were had. Yeah, that's a great point. And it is important to note that we get sort of two perspectives through the narration. We get like young scouts perspective as mm-hmm. a, a kid who isn't educated in like politics and racial inequalities and stuff like that. And then a more adult aged scout who is like the the main narrator whose voice comes in and sort of makes commentaries. And neither of these people are Harper Lee, right? Like you can't just because the narrator says something doesn't mean the author actually believes it or would say that. So yeah, definitely. I think that's also like important to keep in mind for sure. I think uh, a- another moment in the book that I wanted to talk about was that we have this sort of weird episode where Cal takes Gem and Scout to her church one Sunday when Atticus, I think, is like away on business or something. And mm-hmm. oh, for reference, Cal is the family's cook. Um, and she is an African-American woman. So although when Cal takes the children to her church, she's breaking down some like racial barriers in their society, the way that it's discussed is, at least to me, was sort of uncomfy. Like there's a certain level of problematic ethno-tourism, I guess for lack of a better term, that happens when Scout is mm-hmm. so fascinated by visiting the church. And she even asks Cal if she can like visit her home to experience her home life and her culture more, which isn't objectively bad but i think the way that it's described is sort of like exoticizing that culture almost and and it definitely is coming from a place of like childish innocence and curiosity uh but the way that the narrator describes it like adult scout thinking back on it is still kind of like weird to read Mm -hmm. yeah definitely like as you said it's clearly written uh to be like an innocent interest Mm -hmm. in a life different Mm -hmm. from her own um but I, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I think because there's no moment of, uh, like, when Scout expresses that she wants to visit Calpurnia's home and uh, that uh, she had taken them to the church, like, and how Aunt Alexandra was like, oh my gosh, yeah. what? Like, no, you yeah, shouldn't want like, to go, go there. there. And there's no, like, yeah, and there's no, like, 
why or being like hey it's a little weird that you're kind of like almost fetishizing this don't do that um there's kind of like it was just like no you shouldn't want to go because you should want to go yeah i think that's why it's it doesn't there's no explanation read it the same in modern times yeah that makes sense and and it is Mm -hmm. aunt alexandra's perspective that we see the sort of different i guess we see how the finch family or at least atticus is trying to teach his kids different things than he was taught because Mm -hmm. we have two siblings atticus and alexandra who have very differing opinions on um like calpernica in their home and and her role and how she should be able to like talk to the kids and um what sort Mm -hmm. of experiences they should be able to share and stuff like that and then um this sort of leads into the next point, but I think it's also important to talk a little bit about Tom Robinson and the trial, the the sort of climax yes, of the book. Big, big plot yeah. point. The, yeah. the big point, the one that we take yeah. lots of pages getting to. So as the plot progresses, we learn more about Tom and the case, and we get to see sort of how deeply entrenched the systemic racism of the town and the criminal justice system are. And mm-hmm. this is sort of despite Atticus champion championing the legal system as the only system in America in which, quote, like, all men are created equal, which he says in, I think, his, like, closing statement to the jury or something. But we soon find out that the jury finds Tom guilty in spite of Atticus's sort of compelling defense as he he lays out all the facts Mm -hmm. and pretty unequivocally proves that Tom wasn't the one who hurt the, the woman. It was her father. Mayala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, it's a let's no, let's sorry. let's get into it. I want to hear your thoughts. All right. Um, okay, so we get a scene earlier on in the novel when Scout goes to school to her first day, and there's this new teacher in town who's implementing these new methods of teaching. And uh, even for a group of young kids whose minds are and opinions aren't fully formed yet, we see how stubborn this community is, and the kids completely push against anything she tries to do because they're so set in their ways. And I think that's brought back, that kind of theme and ideas brought back in a more dramatic capacity where the jury convicts Tom, even though it's very clear he's innocent. And it's heartbreaking and frustrating to read, but like it's very mm-hmm. true. People are stubborn, and you're not just going to just change someone's mind. Uh the notable point that Attica says is uh, how long it took the jury to find yes, him guilty. Yeah. It Multiple was like hours, hours and yeah. hours of them debating. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a reminder that like decolonization and learning biases and change like doesn't just happen. It happens in small steps. And it's frustrating. It can be like demoralizing and hard. But those small steps need to be recognized. Like you still need to know where you're going. Be like that's yeah. the end result. But recognize that you've made progress. But even in today, like, our legal system is corrupt Yeah, absolutely. Scout notices um, that it's the same type of people who sit on the jury. They're all white. They're all male. They're all farmers. There's no townsfolk, no women, no people of color. And they are dead set on voting with their biases, whether they're aware of that or not. And so nowadays, we have a more inclusive jury, and there's a lot more work to be done so that people aren't voting through Mm -hmm. their biases. But verdicts are reached by who made the best case. And uh, the inequality in the system now comes from it if you have money or not. So, like, you can bail yourself out. You can reach a settlement. You can pay people off. You can, uh, um, if you can afford the best lawyer in town, you can get the best lawyer in town to make the best case for you. So that's where, like, there's still so much inequality and injustice in our system. It's just kind of, like, shifted a little bit on where that inequality is. Yeah, definitely. 
it's it is interesting to like read a more historical sort of courtroom drama and just see like we have come a certain distance you know but not far enough i suppose and and this is sort of like a little teehee but i just wanted to ask have you ever been called for jury duty because i have and it's the tea is real oh I did. Sorry, you probably got some ASMR with my water <laughs> bottle there. I'm just, like, dying on my whiskey right oh, now. No. Um, so I did, and I was called for March 30th, 2020. Oh, fun. Which got canceled, and I was like, yes, I don't have to go. Though, actually, my mom has a funny jury duty uh, story. Sorry, I'm, I'm a mess right now. Now I'm sitting across the ass. I'm uncomfy. I'm going to start that again. Uh, my mom has a funny jury duty story where maybe, like, sometime in the past year she got called for jury duty. And, like, she's at a point. She's ready for retirement. And uh, so she was, she was like, in, like, almost the final round before they, like, finally mm-hmm. selected the jury. So she was waiting in a room. They're like, hey, if, like, the people we have aren't uh, – someone's not suitable, then, like, we're going to call one of you. So they were talking to whoever was there about, about it. And, like, it was, like, a two-week murder trial. And he was, like, talking, giving them, like, as much information as they could mm-hmm. about it. And my mom was like, oh, my God, I would love to have two weeks off of work and sit in on a murder <laughs> trial. That's where she's at in her life. Uh, she did not get selected. But I would have been, like, absolutely not. I don't want to do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I got I a letter from the government in the mail. I guess it was before COVID. It must have been. Yeah, like maybe three years ago. Uh, and they were like, mm-hmm. hey, girl, what you up to? You want to come be on this case that could take a couple of weeks to like four months? And I was like, no, bitch, I have things to do. <laughs> but I couldn't like I was answering their questionnaire and none of my reasons were like reasons that I couldn't like I would have to actually right, go to yeah. the first sort of not auditions. But you know what I mean? Like you got to go audition to be on the jury. The cat yeah, exactly. call. Yes. <laughs> uh, the open call. So the the date was approaching where I had to go to the courthouse and do this and I was getting like progressively more and more anxious because I was like I am just starting grad school like I have shit to do I can't Mm. afford to take four months off uh to do this yeah um isn't that I feel like being in school is a reason you could be like yeah but it's not one of the ones on the questionnaire that you can get out of you still have to go to the initial selection process oh okay uh anyway so I was like getting really nervous about it and then, like, a week before I was supposed to go to the courthouse, I got another letter saying, JK, lol, it's not happening. But I think that they settled before court. Yeah, but I was probably. like, thank God. But then I was concerned that I would my name would go back to the top of the pile. But it's been three years and I haven't heard anything. So I think my name went to the bottom of the pile again. So I think I'm going to be good for mm-hmm. another couple decades, maybe. Yeah, I was just told I could get called again. I don't know. It's funny because my mom's been called like mm-hmm. five times. My dad's never been called. That's so interesting. So it's yeah. so weird. Yeah, the selection Yeah, process. every time my mom's been called, she's been pregnant. So <laughs> yeah, she hasn't been called in. How old is Alec? She hasn't been called in 23 years, I guess. But <laughs> oh. yeah, she, I think it happened a couple times that she was pregnant. So she couldn't go. Yeah. Mm-hmm, anyway, yeah. interesting. Interesting. <laughs> but but while we're talking about um atticus and like the the trial and stuff i did want to briefly bring up one of the one of the issues that has been more recently um attributed to this book that wasn't addressed so much before is that atticus like historically in critical readings of the novel has been represented as like the story's moral compass essentially 
we're meant to see him mm-hmm. as like this heroic sort of as this heroic sort of moral figure but because of this portrayal and characterization we really quickly fall into the like white savior complex where this dude gets credited with fighting racism basically and it's it's the same as a lot of uh more recent books have been critiqued for the same thing like the help was really critiqued because mm-hmm. it's basically like white people try to solve racism and and stuff like that so it's definitely a more modern reading of the text but it's very clearly yeah. present in this book mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because like obviously you want to showcase like white people also fighting yeah. for yeah. equality because you don't want it to be solely a black issue because then that uh kind of um emphasizes not uh, that's the wrong word uh like the oh this is a black issue yeah. well, I'm, me yeah. as a white person i don't need to worry about that that's not my job but it's like no this is all of our jobs like we all need to do our share yeah to make racism go away um but i completely but yeah but then the opposite side is like you don't want to get into white savior territory because that's also problematic mm-hmm. um but i completely agree with you that um but i think he's a very interesting character um I think I mentioned, like, the Atticus Finch treatment in our last episode. So what I meant by that uh, is that we're meant to, like, idolize Atticus in a way that – the same way that Scout does. As you said, like, it turns him into this white savior with a solid moral compass fighting racism. Um, but in the sequel novel, Ghost of a Watchman, uh, we see that he's not perfect. He has a lot of racial biases that Gene doesn't agree with, and they have, like, a kind of huge blow-up fight about it. And uh, and the reader's not meant to really agree with it. You're meant to be like, well, what, Atticus, what are you doing? Uh, so our view of him, along with Jean's, like, comes crashing down. And that happens in real life. Like, there comes yeah. a point where in time when we find out, like, our parents or our idols aren't perfect, we might not agree with everything they believe in, and they've made and will make mistakes. And it's also similar with Dumbledore, I felt, Um where he's kind of meant to be this, like, perfect character. Yes, exactly. And then that all comes crashing down the moment you find out uh, that he's basically raised yep. Harry to die. And I think it's super interesting. So I think he's a very interesting character. Though you're totally right about the white everything. I think he's a super interesting character in the, for that No, reason. I totally agree. And and he's clearly written to be the most compelling, dynamic, complex character. Um, be that as it may. Like, that was definitely the intention, I think. And, and of mm-hmm. course, because of that, we're going to read more into everything he says and does. Because he's, yeah. like, the, the intellectual adult, so he can support that kind of investigation and critique, I guess. You want to have feminist rant time? Yeah, let's do it. Is that time of the day? It sure is. It's always feminist rant time. It is. It is at my house, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Scout is, like, the... She gets the typical, like, tomboy oh, I'm a girl, but, like, I play with boys, then that means I'm tough and I'm not like the other girls. I don't wear dresses. It offends me when you call me a woman. And it's it's that really frustrating, like, she she doesn't want to be called a woman because she feels like inherently that's some sort of insult because mm-hmm. of the society that she grew up in. Yeah. So it really does have that, like, early sort of first wave feminism like still low-key idolizes men and turns women against each other type yeah, feminism definitely. that's like outdated and bullshit and also not at all like intersectional or inclusive of, of different races and classes and stuff like that oh yeah 
Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. But um, she does make some interesting observations on how women, particularly at this time, interact with each other, which especially mm-hmm. in that scene where like all the church ladies come to her yes. house and Alexander yeah. hosts them. I think that scene's so interesting for so many it reasons. Yeah. I think I have some stuff later on about uh, my notes that I want to bring up. So, like, yeah, they're all sitting around chatting, and she's just, like, marveling at how they talk to each other, like, yeah. the snide remarks they make, and, like, uh, but even, but I think a really beautiful moment was when uh, Atticus comes home and tells them about um, Tom Robinson, and he asks Calpurnia to come with him uh, to tell his wife, and, uh, like, Alexandra is, like, clearly quite upset about hearing yeah. this news. And then she's yeah. able to, like, pull herself together and walk back in as if nothing happened. And Scout has this moment of, like, oh, that's, like, a very different kind of strength, I guess. Like, I can yeah. do that, too. Like, I can be strong and, like, pretend nothing just happened and, like, keep going. So I thought that was yeah. a very nice moment. But, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of moments. And there's so many, uh, I know, frustrating moments of, like, Scout, act like a lady and this is what girls do and boys do this but girls don't do that and things like that they're very frustrating but yeah for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think your point about uh when scout has this sort of like new respect for her aunt and i guess for womanliness or whatever Mm -hmm. uh about like the 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 strength that women have Mm -hmm. it's a great moment because that's how the chapter ends as well so it's like a very sort of poignant message uh and that's near the end of the book so we see scout sort of growing up and Mm -hmm. just discovering things i guess about about herself and maybe rethinking some of like the gendered biases that she has Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's a good moment yeah definitely so one of the big sort of red flags that this book raised for me this time around was the discussion of sexual assault in the novel. Mm-hmm. So Tom Robinson is on trial for the assault of Mayella Ewell, and through the course of Atticus- Atticus's cross-examination, Mayella basically gets, like, interrogated to the point that she's, like, in tears and refuses to speak anymore. And I think it's important to note that according to the narrator, the assault didn't take place as she said it did. Mm-hmm. Like, Tom didn't actually assault her um but this does bring up a major issue which is i guess like not believing sexual assault victims and victim blaming because the victim blaming definitely happens in the trial whether the assault took place or not like multiple times throughout the trial they ask her if she was fighting back hard enough or like screaming loud enough Mm, and creating doubt that she didn't want it to happen which is it's so hard to read that because we know that questions like this still come up in court Mm -hmm. like what were you wearing Oh my god. You know? Yeah. And stuff like that. Like <laughs> oh my god. Did you call for help? Yeah. Yet? So <laughs> it's been ninety years and like similar things are still happening, which oh, just yeah. pisses me off. Uh but but now the main issue here is that like in this particular plot, Mayella is lying. But I think it's also important to note that she lies because she's afraid of her abusive father. Like it's not just because she's a dick. Mm-hmm. Um but the problem is that the trial is both, like, victim-blaming and trying to get the reader on Tom's side before we even have the evidence to know that he isn't guilty. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of putting the reader between a rock and a hard place because, on the one hand, we want to believe Tom didn't do it and overcome, like, the inherently racist criminal justice system, of course. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we want to, like, listen to, believe, and support Mayella insofar as she is the ostensible victim of a sexual assault. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly more of like a a moral quandary i guess for the reader 
and I don't really like the message that it puts forward about sexual assaults. Like, can't the book be fighting racism and sexism, or does it only can it only be one? You know, like it's why why was the trial about rape? Yeah, I guess that's my question. I know, but yeah, you make it the like I don't know if there is a right answer um, mm-hmm. about like how it could have been brought up because as you said, yeah. like you like as a modern reader like we are at a point where we um want to believe women and promote believing women until like um and believe their stories because there's such a history of not believing women in sexual assault cases but also you're like tom is clearly innocent and i want him to be innocent that's that's the shitty place that the book puts the reader in we want to we want to like believe them both yeah and i don't know if there's like a way like if for someone were to rewrite this novel i don't know like how you would make that approachable in a uh, modern day time i don't know yeah it's it's just a tricky tricky topic and a tricky situation Mm-hmm. definitely yeah yeah I, I just wanted to like briefly discuss that um before yeah. we move on to something else for sure so another sort of commentary that we're getting Oh, like that sort of runs parallel to the racism in this book mm-hmm. is the classism. Yeah. So within the white community in Maycomb, there are clearly like stratifications of class, uh, as we see people like the Cunninghams and the Ewells, who are described as white trash, like mm-hmm. direct quote from the book, uh, who are so poor that they can't like afford to properly feed or clothe their children. So their mm-hmm. kids are like running around barefoot getting like ringworm or something. And they have like rodents in their hair. Is that what it? Something like that. And, I thought it was yeah, lice because so she like so it was. It was either large bugs or rodents or something. There's like something that. about yeah. She saw a mouse, but then because uh, she makes him go home, it to was clean his hair and he yeah, it wash out, his so head. Think, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so and then we see in contrast to that, families like the Finches, who according to Aunt Alexandra, are like a respectable old family. Um, Mm -hmm. and despite none of the families in the town being particularly wealthy due to the recession, uh, there's very clearly a distinction in the town and that the town draws between like the upper and the lower classes. Mm -hmm. And so the families, uh, in the Finch's neighborhood are mostly like older white people who are very proud and opinionated about how things should be and like who's worth associating with. So even within, it's not just like. a a racial divide in the town there's also clearly an economic divide that is operating here as well yeah and it's it's something scout is picking up on but it's not quite as like clear of a message like to child scout Mm Hmm. yeah because for her she kind of just like takes it as fact yeah she's just like oh yeah the evil evils or the cunninghams i forgot like she's like yeah they just like come to one day of school and then they leave i think it's the evils yeah who yeah. come for the one day and just uh to make the government happy and then leave or like it's the cunninghams that um the teacher tries to give a quarter to so he can yes. buy lunch yeah. and she's like and he won't take it yeah she's like no they don't take anything they can't pay back that's just like how this goes yeah so it is interesting as a reader that we see it all happen and we can mm-hmm. make those uh it's a moment where we can connect the dots and scout doesn't as much mm-hmm. because it's not yeah. as like a uh heavy theme in the book it's still present but it's not as present as some of the other themes i think yeah and i think in that um particular instance as well where she's trying to like explain to the teacher why certain 
uh, politics are operating within the first grade classroom, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's like, well, oh, he's a cunning hammer. Oh, he's an ool. Like, that's just the way it is. And she thinks this is, like, a sufficient explanation because that's, like, what she was taught when she grew up like that's just how things are yeah and it's it's very much like on a on a family to family oh they live on this side of the dump or they don't like it's it's a very sort of black and white like that's just the way it is type thing yeah but But it's it's also yeah yeah, like the way that she says it is pretty comedic too like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of comedy in that classroom scene oh yeah it's a very comedic scene yeah for sure yeah it's like a very funny moment but there is like a subtle sort of commentary happening as well yeah I know, classism is so interesting to me because I personally yeah. think it's bullshit, but <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would agree yeah. with me, but. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a theme that we've picked up on in so many of the books that we've read oh, that yeah. I mean, maybe we weren't expecting. been a huge theme since, like, the beginning of time. Like, even mm-hmm. uh, ancient Rome, ancient, like, we've always had some kind of person in power, and then yeah. they're, they're friends that... Or also have not as much power, but still have a lot of power. And then there's everyone else. So there's always been this great divide of, like, I'm better than you. Like, so it's, like, always yeah. been so present in our society. And, like, will it ever not be present? Probably not. Unless we go into a full anarchist mode. But if we all lived in a communist society yeah. together. <laughs> oh, my God. This is becoming a communist podcast, apparently. <laughs> Uh, I saw this tweet and it was like, oh, some kid uh, in like a school mock election ran as the Communist Party as a joke and then the school had to make them stop because they were winning. Oh, no. Was this was this in the States? Uh, It must have been. It didn't say where. It was just a tweet I saw, but I would assume so. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, like the States have this really weird thing about like if the word communism comes up they immediately shut down well it's from the cold war i know it's from the cold war but it's like that word means something different now than it did back then yeah and it's it's just funny i don't know yeah yeah anyway (laughs) cool classism yeah so another character that i really wanted to talk about today is boo radley there's lots to be said here like my notes aren't very articulate on i know yeah i was reading it like what i just was writing okay so it's like agoraphobic question mark not a people person question mark an official hermit crab tm question mark (laughs) (laughs) those are some questions i guess that i have and and also um like there's really voyeuristic descriptions of him throughout the novel um like the the sort of local town myth that the kids all pass around is that he creeps by people's houses and like looks in their mm-hmm. windows while they're sleeping and stuff like oh, yeah. he's made out to be sort of like a pervert voyeur type person mm-hmm. um but then at the end at the very end of the novel after he saves scout and jim uh scout realizes um that he's he's like watching and sort of like becomes more of a watchman f- figure mm-hmm. sort of like a neighborhood watch guy type thing and I, I still think it's creepy that he gives the kids little gifts and stuff um, mm-hmm. and that he's just, like, watching them play all the time. Like, it's good that he saved them at the end, obviously, but, mm-hmm. like, does it explain or justify the creeping? I don't know. Like, I genuinely don't know. Like, I'm yeah. opening this up for discussion. So I had a very different take on this. First of all, um, his yeah. whole, like, like the story of him, like, watching Miss Stephanie through her window. I Like, what I got from that was that that was made up. 
because yeah, like, there's so. a lot of times where it right. references like she kind of like very much over embellishes stories. So I thought it was like Absolutely. maybe she just saw him walk by and was like, oh, he was still watching yeah. me and he just was walking, yeah. going for a nightly walk. Um, but like in terms of him like watching the kids, I kind of saw it as like he watches the kids have a childhood he didn't have. So it's yeah. kind of like a almost friendship, like admiration, like uh, – but more innocent and like they're his connection yeah. to the outside world like they're kind of the only friends he has and like they don't even have a like actual tangible connection um yeah, for sure that's kind of how i read it as like a much more innocent than i think you did uh maybe i'm just more naive um no 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 i agree i was just sort of putting that forward yeah as sorry. like a thought no, I just because thought it I think was, it like, can be interpreted that, multiple ways. Yeah, no, I thought it was super sweet that they're kind of like yeah. his connection to the world and his only friends, really, because yeah. his brother doesn't seem like he's the best. No, um, not really. And like, I also just love the part at the end where Scout sees the events of the novel from his perspective, and one of the last lines of that passage is, "It was Autumn again, and Boo's children needed him." Mm-hmm. I love that part. It's so sweet. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It's a good moment, and, and like their interaction at the end, I think, is so cute. Oh, for she sure. She kind of gets sure. the interaction she wanted because she mentioned earlier. She's like, "Oh, I wish I could just be like, hey, Boo, how's the weather today?" As she walks by, and she kind of gets that moment where she's just like, "Oh, like I'll find you a spot on the porch. Like, let me show you. Like, yeah, I'll walk yeah. you home." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is a very sweet moment, and yeah. I think that's that's clearly the moment when we're our perspective, like Scouts, is meant to shift mm-hmm. from like a oh, he's a he's like a sort of scary a ghostly figure to like oh he's a a real human like a a person with morals and stuff like that yeah because as a Um, reader like we clearly can tell from the beginning like there's much more to his story that we don't know yeah there's much more um and scout doesn't understand that until that end moment when she stands on his porch i think yeah for sure and then she's able to what is it Atticus says that's really nasty? Put yourself uh, in somebody else's skin instead of their shoes. And I'm like, Atticus, like, why? Shoes. Why, it's Atticus? <laughs> gross. Mm, gross. Yeah. But, yeah, it is, it's a beautiful moment, I agree. Another reason why I, like, wanted to read these books was I, like, kept hearing, like, Boo Radley jokes. And I was like, I don't get it. And then suddenly someone was like, oh, it's a character in To Kill a Mockingbird. So I was like, oh, I should read To Kill a Mockingbird then. Oh. Um, like, I back, think it's, back in high school? Yeah, and just, like, in the, okay. like, media I saw. I think it was um, yeah, a very Potter sequel. Someone sees Hermione and goes, like, oh, who invited, invited Boo Radley or something? <laughs> and uh, I, like, didn't get it. And I was kind of like, what? And I think my sister was like, oh, it's To Kill a Mockingbird. And so I was like, I should breathe that. <laughs> yeah, I love that I was probably complaining about this book. And you were like, you know what I should do? I should read this book. <laughs> like, I, I planned like, on reading it You won't believe anyways, this bullshit. Because <laughs> I wanted to read it. And then I found out you yeah. read it in grade 10. And I was like, oh, but I want to take this mythology class. I was like, well, I'll just read the book. Like, I can read it Yeah, of course. Class. And so I we remember. We were extra like that. Because I remember, yeah, I, like, read it. And I was like, oh, I really like this book. And you were like, I hate this book. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, I'm glad I didn't have to read it in class. <laughs> yeah, it was the class that, that mostly ruined it, I would say. That's yeah. fair, yeah. I mean, I don't like Lord of the Flies, probably because I had to read it in class, so. You know what? I've never read it, but I did help Alec once write an essay on it, and by help, I mean I wrote it. Fair. (laughs) So, there is an essay that exists that I wrote about Lord of the Flies that I believe received an A, but I have not read that book. I'm sorry, it sounded like you said Lord of the Flies, which is even I I sort of did. (laughs) Because, uh... We're on a Lord of the Flies topic now, apparently. We got time. Uh, So at my school, um, 
in uh, the theater school I went to, like at one, one term you do like a big cabaret. That's like your big uh, end of term production or like presentation. And so one year for one group, they were like, oh, they're going to do like a workshop of a new musical as opposed to a cabaret. It was super fun. And it was called, I think it was Lord of the Fries. And it was a Lord oh of the God. Flies, but like set in a like chain food restaurant. It was very, oh. very weird. <laughs> That's interesting. I have never heard of it or seen it elsewhere ever since. I don't think oh it left god. the walls of our school. But wow. So you said that, and I was suddenly like, oh my god. <laughs> what I like, remembered moments of it. I have blocked oh my a gosh. lot of it out. <laughs> Fair. As you do with the yeah, weird I was not in production it, that you have to do for I, school. I did watch it, yeah. Oh, interesting. Times. But yeah, yeah reading yeah. books in school will ruin it for you. There's one book yeah, I read true. in school that I actually, everyone enjoyed. And that was Percy Jackson. The what Lightning. was it? Percy Jackson, the Lightning Thief. Oh, okay. We read that in grade 12. Yes, and that was such that a smart idea. Out. We're definitely going to get to Percy Jackson one day. And I will talk about oh, why absolutely. that was such a brilliant idea to read that in class. No, definitely. Okay. Final thoughts. I have yeah. some final thoughts. Go for it. Let's hear them. Okay. So there's this really, really random plot point we haven't talked about at all yet. Mm-hmm. Where this elderly woman, their neighbor, I can't remember what her name is. Um, is, like, very ill, and because of her illness was prescribed morphine by a doctor, and then she becomes addicted to the morphine, and then she's, like, determined to wean herself off of it before she dies so that she can, like, die with a clean conscience or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Jem, because he, like, smashed up her flowers because she said some racist shit one time about Atticus and stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, has to, like, go read to her, and so Scout goes with him because they do things together. And and so they, like, witness, over the course of, like, a month and a week or something like that, her sort of health decline. And then when she passes away at the end, Atticus says, oh, yeah, she was, like, in morphine morphine withdrawal. That's why you were, like, going there to read to, like, distract her. And they were like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and he's like, yeah, she was racist as fuck, but she's the bravest woman I ever knew. And it's just a weird moment. <laughs> like, can we talk about it? Yeah, especially because now, like, we have such a different um, uh, relationship with morphine, particularly when it comes to someone dying. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, okay, just, like, if you're going to die anyways, it's like, we'll just let them be comfortable for their last yeah. few weeks. Um, just up the morphine a little bit. And obviously, like, it's your choice if you're like, no, I don't want to be addicted to it. I'm going to as some people do make that choice. But, um, yeah, I was interested. Interesting to see that. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say, I said in my notes, like, I felt like I could connect all of those other, like, little plot points and, like, the themes and how they connect yeah. to the rest of the book. But that one I'm still working on. Yeah. But I just had the moment. I think it's supposed to connect to her um, uh, putting herself in someone else's shoes. Uh, because the whole time okay. they're like this mean old woman and then they uh, have to go read her and they have no right. idea what's happening like and she's not even listening it looks, seems like and like she gets into this weird trance and they have no idea what's going on and then afterwards they find out what was actually happening with her and it kind of completely changes the perspective of their last month so I I think that's why that plot line is in there to have yeah, that moment I mean, of like experience something and then seeing it from a completely different lens for sure, for sure, I agree that Maybe. that seems to be the intent, but, like, was it necessary? Because she learns that lesson multiple times anyway. That's true. I think it's to reiterate I don't reiterate know, it just felt it. out of place to me, I and guess. it's just to reiterate it. So yeah. By the end, like, I don't know, it's not as, like, she suddenly is like, oh, I know how to do this now. It's like she's yeah. had to do this several times, and she's, like, it's, like, almost natural for her to take a moment and be like, oh, yeah, this is what booze life must be like. 
don't know. That's those are my thoughts now. I'm gonna leave. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and and one other thing that I did want to bring up is that there are like quite a few comedic scenes and funny things worth mentioning as well in the book. Like there are some really funny, nice moments that happen to break up the like high drama and really complex dark topics that this book tackles. So I think most things involving Dill basically were comedic. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for example, when he hides under Scout's bed and she thinks that she stepped on like a snake. So then Jem gets in there with like a broom and just like whacks under the bed and and Dill crawls out and he's like, I'm here. I ran away from home. Let's spend the summer together. Uh, And I don't know. I just laughed really hard. Like that was a good scene. Yeah. I was also laughing because his reasons for running away from home like, I feel like are all the reasons we all wanted to run away from home as a kid. Yeah, for sure. We're all like, my mom and dad don't love me al- enough. And it was like, no, they do. They just have their own lives and sometimes need quiet time. <laughs> like, Exactly. They don't want to entertain you all the time. Yeah, like, sometimes yeah. you got to do your own thing. And um, I don't know, I just found the whole scene so funny. Yeah, it's it's very good. And, like, because he exaggerates about everything mm-hmm. scout's always like okay so he said this what probably happened yeah. is this he was in so a then circus. like he probably just walked to the train station <laughs> yeah exactly because he says like oh yeah my dad like chained me to the wall yeah. and then like my neighbor got me out and then i like joined a, a circus mm-hmm. and started washing a camel and then like i walked 12 miles to get to this town across a river or something like that and they're like okay what actually happened like, right. he 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 stole money from his mom and like hopped on a train. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, just yeah, comedic moments. And also how when Scout is like eight and Dill is nine, he's like, Yeah, we're gonna get married. And then like a year later, he's like, We're still engaged, don't worry about it. I like remember <laughs> just us, little kid things. Yeah, debating at like six years old over who was gonna marry who in our grade one class. Oh my god. Yeah. You know who there's one guy we were both fighting over. You called him, so I was like, okay. I got dibs. Yeah, you had dibs. <laughs> I got dibs. Yeah. What can I say? <laughs> I don't think uh, either of us talked to either of them. I don't remember who the other guy was that I, I apparently was gonna marry. Oh, I do remember, but I will not say his name on the you podcast. Tell I yeah. fully forget who it was. Yeah. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Yep. Um, I personally um, loved uh, how appalled everyone was uh, to Dill claiming he and Jem were playing strip poker. Yes. It was just a very funny moment. Like, yeah. that is the worst thing possible. It could, the worst could thing do. you could have possibly done. It but not because me. of the stripping, because of the playing cards. They're not allowed to play cards. Yeah. They weren't, but they were playing with matches. So that's like a step yeah. down. Slightly so like, less terrible. They're like, okay, we can't get too mad at you. But um, it reminds me of a. Uh, trouble from the music man oh you got trouble right here in river city it just reminded me of that little song um mm-hmm. but also after reading that bit uh, i was watching the Lindsay lohan version of the parent trap where they're all playing oh, iconic to each other and like the grandfather yes. even gifts annie cards to play poker yeah. for at camp just times have changed absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah and then there's one moment instance where uh gem is teaching dill how to swim at the river and they're like scout you can't come because we're gonna swim naked and she's like okay i guess that's fine yeah. <laughs> just abandon me all right <laughs> like you can't come Let's go. Like, okay what a mood yeah yeah and and one last thing is just scout being dressed as a ham right. for the halloween pageant like first of all what halloween pageant involved a character that was a ham i know 
like there's something about like uh, the agriculture <laughs> of the land. Yeah, but it's just it's like ham. <laughs> she has this giant like chicken wire paper mache type construction over her head so that she can't see anything, and she's just dressed like a ham. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Like, what a visual. I just really like that. That's and, all. And, like, the movie is so funny because, like, it goes down to her knees. So she's just, like, a big ball of brown stuff. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. Oh but we all had that school thing where we had to dress up and something. Yeah, for sure. I remember we did. Actually, ours wasn't too bad. We did that somewhere over the rainbow thing. I think we were oh, stars yeah. or clouds or something. Yeah. And just held that. That wasn't too bad. That was pretty yeah. tame. Yeah. <laughs> Grade one, Mrs. Keitel's class. Iconic Keitel. era. Oh. Remember, she had a piano in her room. We would like sing songs. And a record time. player. Yeah. I remember she started teaching us Do Re Mi, and I yeah. obviously knew the song because I'd seen Sound of Music a hundred times. Clearly. And so she starts playing it, and I start singing, and all the kids look at me and they're like, You know the song? And I was like, You don't? Anyways, um, she also played Baby Beluga when we worked. Was I was going to say, Baby Beluga was the iconic yeah. moment of that year. That was like the, the soundtrack of grade one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Baby for sure. Beluga. Anyways, <laughs> uh, enough about. We've gone so many tangents. Uh, shall we jump into our adult rating of the yeah. book? Yeah, let's get into it. I guess it. current rating, not so much adult rating. Yeah, adult is a relative term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely had like a very different rereading experience mm-hmm. um than i did when i was 15 in class and like i definitely also took different things away from the book mm-hmm. i enjoyed reading the book a lot more this time around like it was a less unpleasant experience to read it for for the podcast than it was for that class for sure um and i was able to appreciate things like the writing and like the historical interest more as well mm-hmm. uh, but i also had like different issues with the book yeah. So, of course, there will be issues with a book written 62 years ago. So I was, like, expecting it to raise some flags in, mm-hmm. you know, which which we talked about, uh, especially pertaining to, like, racism and the trial. But for those reasons, I think I'm going to give the book maybe, like, a 6.5 out of yeah. 10. Like, it's it's worth reading, but it's also worth being critical of. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, it's worth a read. I think it's still an important book, but there's a yeah. lot to note and be critical of. But I think I'll always enjoy this book. Like, it's just one of those books that will always hit a soft spot for me. Um, like with, But with, like with Harry Potter, each time I read it, I find more layers of problematic content. I'm still yeah. always going to enjoy it. It's always going to be a big part of uh, my reading journey. But um, it's like I can... Like with Atticus Finch, I can now recognize it is not perfect. Absolutely. Bring it back. Um, so I love I th- that. We've yeah. come full circle. What? Um, so I'm going to say 7 out of 10 for me. Totally fair. Yeah. yeah. We're close. That's good. I'm, I'm like, kind of surprised, actually. <laughs> I, I had a feeling you would have a very different yeah. uh, time reading this, which is why I wanted to do it. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. my side. All right, well, join us next time as we read The Amazing Days of Abby Hayes by Anne Mazur. This has been Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Books Before Liquor and Twitter at BooksBLPodcast. And check us out on our website at BooksBeforeLiquorNeverBeenSicker.ca or email us at BooksBeforeLiquor at gmail.com to scream at us about great books or send us recommendations or whatever. We love to hear from you. 
And you can also support us by visiting patreon.com slash books before liquor never been sicker. And now go drink a big glass of water.